Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Two Weird Hungry Girls podcast. I'm Phoebe, and we're actually on the road recording, and I couldn't find another weird hungry girl, so it's just me. But I'm here with a very special guest, Forrest Pritchard, and we're recording in downtown York on the street corner at a traffic light. So if you hear um, street traffic, it's because it's real life. We're free-ranging. Yeah, that's it. We're free-ranging in York. Um, and you're in the area because your book was selected as one of the, what, is it commu- one community, one book, or yeah. one book, one community book? One book, book? one community, yeah. And it was featured in, I think, about like 80 libraries. Mm. So you uh, were here and doing a few speaking engagements mm-hmm. about both books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the first book is called, is titled Gaining Ground, a story of farmers markets, local foods, and saving the family farm. Mm-hmm. And the second book is titled... Growing Tomorrow, a farm-to-table journey with 18 sustainable farmers changing the way we eat. Mm -hmm. And in your lecture, I thought it was really interesting that you um, talked a lot about how food is branded. Mm -hmm. And um, just on the way into York, I noticed that there's like a new grocery store that's opening up that's called Fresh Market, Mm -hmm. which I think is a a, a chain that's opening in a lot of destinations. Mm -hmm. How do you feel um, about the branding of food and your farm, your farm market stand is organic. All of your products mm-hmm. are organic. How do you feel about separating your product as organic from the now mass rebranding mm-hmm. of foods? Well, I think it's a great time in 2016 that we've kind of uh, you know coalesced with so much uh, consumer momentum. Uh, the the hunger uh, to borrow from uh, your blog title, you know, is is really strong uh, in a lot of ways. The hunger for knowledge, the hunger for nu- nutritious food, uh, you know, the kind of uh, food that actually is you know, therapeutic and, and, and nourishes us. Uh, uh, but at the same time, I think that gives us a lot of opportunities on, on, in two different ways for uh, big corporations that we don't have a lot of trust with historically uh, to kind of like trick or cheat or cut corners. Uh, but I think there is a lot of genuine desire from a lot of corporations to try to be that um, middleman, for lack of a better word, or kind of ambassador uh, for all those farmers who, frankly, just want to grow uh, great food. They just want to grow produce, but don't necessarily want to be the public face that stands at farmers markets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to kind of nerd out on some numbers real quick, uh, 1.8% of the population is farmers uh, in a population that 100% of us grow food. Uh, so a very small amount of folks are actually farmers. But of that 1.8%, only 1% of that uh, is the farmer's market farmer. You know, 99% of farmers are either uh, growing their food, putting it on the back of a tractor trailer, sending it to a processor, or maybe are growing organically, but sending it to a distributor as well. Mm-hmm. So those, you know, kind of heartfelt, honest um, places that are supplying a grocery store atmosphere for organic food are supplying a real service and a real need for a lot of farmers. Right. Have you found that um, one of the one of the struggles with someone who's starting an organic farm um, and connecting with consumers might be justifying the expense of organic or fresh local foods? with the consumer. Like you almost have to re-educate the consumer about the benefits of eating well versus a mobile data plan or a pedicure uh-huh, or uh-huh. a car wash. Yeah, I feel like 
that was definitely uh, more so in the past and is diminishing. Uh, certainly, um, there are lots of folks that uh, see a price tag and they associate cost uh, with value. And those are two very separate words, right? Um, I mean, I think uh, it was, uh, um, was it, uh, uh, not Thornton Wilder, was it, uh, 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 Oscar, was it Oscar Wilde who said a uh, difference between a cynic uh, knows the price of everything and the value of nothing? Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I think we become, I'm not sure that's Oscar Wilde, but anyway, you get the point. Yes. Yeah. We know that what everything costs, but we don't know what the value of it is. Uh, and I think we've become a real nation of food cynics uh, mm-hmm. for um, a country that has so much abundance, so much food constantly available, and yet so few people actually grow the food. Uh, we're uh, confoundedly head-scratching, question mark, experts on what we think food should cost, even though we've never really grown food. We've never been responsible for paying the bills to make sure that a farm stays in business. We've never had to payroll our farm employees and, and pay them a living wage to keep showing up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, for that's one side of the coin. Uh, for anybody that's actually grown uh, food, uh, anybody that's grown basil in a windowsill or, or homegrown tomatoes, you everyone knows nothing tastes better yeah. than a homegrown tomato. Mm-hmm. You know, so why are we arguing, or why are we getting offended that uh, someone else's homegrown tomato might cost a dollar more right. when we know it's better? We know the hard work that went into it, right. uh, yet we're so willing to have be emotional about mm-hmm. paying an extra dollar to make sure that that farmer stays in business mm-hmm. uh, versus, you know, a, che- a, a cheaper tomato that we have no idea where it came from. We have no idea uh, how far it took to get there, what chemicals were put into it, whether those workers were treated fairly, whether that farm is even going to be in business mm-hmm. the next year. It's all about how cheap it is. Um, so the, for the folks that get that, uh, there's no need to educate. It's a right. passionate, uh, mission-driven argument. Mm-hmm. There's some kind of disconnection with food that we have now because you can buy... Um, a burger at McDonald's for a dollar, mm-hmm. or you can go to the grocery store and grab in the checkout lane a bag of popcorn for your, you know, a few cents. Sure. And I think people become disconnected about where our food comes from, and there's a lack of um, community. Yeah. And that's what you feel that farmers can offer at farm stands is a connection to um, the community. You mentioned visiting farms or opening up your farm for uh-huh. an open house day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody, no, no one is going to blink. No one's going to blink when someone says a uh, you know a Hyundai costs fifteen thousand dollars, but a uh, you know top of the line Mercedes costs eighty five thousand dollars. Nobody's going to question that. Nobody's going to question uh, that a Motel Six is is fifty dollars a night, or the you know the Ritz is five hundred dollars a night. But when it comes to food. Uh, we get we get so emotionally uh, offended, yeah. you know, uh, by by what we think uh, things should cost. Um, so yeah, it's a real yeah. strange conundrum. It this is. isn't this isn't like gasoline, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where the price goes up a little bit or the price goes down, uh, and we're not going to be connected to the sheik in Saudi Arabia who pumped that gasoline. Now right. we we can have a immediate direct connection to our local farmers. Um, and that's more than just about the price tag. That's more than just about the taste. That is about admiring the view, uh, preserving uh, what we what we what we claim to value. Right. When you traveled across the country, in the book, the most recent one, "The Growing Tomorrow," you visited 18 sustainable farms right. in the U.S. 
Um, what are some of the characteristics that you found that the farmers had um, that made them successful? Yeah, great question. Um, so I have a science background in college, and it's nice to talk about all these things, but to test some of these philosophies and the economic uh, uh, frameworks in real time was a bit of a scientific component of this. Um, so going out to find 18 very different farmers, uh, different ages, different ethnicities, men and women, uh, uh, different parts of the country, and frankly all growing different things from blueberries to lobsters to rooftop honey. Uh, I'll let this bus go by. We are out in downtown York. Um, really put a lot, uh, you know, kind of uh, coalesced what your question was precisely uh, you know what unites us mm -hmm. why do these people sign up for this risky hard work uh, that, has, that has no guarantees there's no paycheck there's mm -hmm. no 401k plan there's no uh, social security there's no retirement benefits right and there's no weekends right and there's no weekends <laughs> yeah there's no vacations uh, there's no vacation time there's mm -hmm. no health insurance any of this stuff right why do these people do it are they crazy well i don't think so uh what unites them a uh, faith a faith in something bigger than themselves, um, a belief that growing nutritious food, uh, providing that for their communities to be healthful, uh, to be beneficial, to be a vibrant part of our uh, community fabric, mm -hmm. um, is about something bigger than ourselves. It's about it's about something bigger than making a buck. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, these folks also do it to be economically sustainable. Uh, no, there's no way uh, to stay in business uh, if they're not making a profit. So they depend on the goodwill of the customers um, recognizing how valuable the service that they provide. The same service like a, as a policeman might provide or a school teacher might provide. Uh, one of the pillars of our society. You know, the people that uh, we look up to. Uh, the farmers are right in that same category. Mm -hmm. um, did you find... Uh in starting your own farm, is it Joe? Is it Joe Sal Sal Salatin, Salatin that you pronounce it? Um, he was someone that you learned a lot from. What is some of the best advice that you received early on? Um, some of the best advice you received starting starting a farm as a business, not just as a. Uh huh. That's a great question. Yeah, Joel Salatin was enormously influential to me. Uh, he's, you know, probably without argument, our, America's most famous farmer at this point. Uh, if your listeners don't know, uh, he's featured in movies such as Fresh, uh, several other movies, uh, Food Inc. He was in uh, Michael Pollan's The Omnivore's Dilemma. He was the farmer featured in that. And I had the good fortune of my parents running into him at a conference in 1989 uh, when I was 15. And they... We're, since we're about two and a half hours apart, we got to know each other. Uh, deeply impactful because Joel was farming in the 80s, much like my grandparents had farmed. So I basically had two role models. My grandparents, who are uh, fifth-generation farmers, I'm a seventh-generation farmer, and farming very similarly, but with two very different ways of selling. My grandparents were still farming like 97% of our agriculture still exists by growing corn, growing cattle, growing apples, putting on the back of tractor trailers and sending it down the road, you get a check in the mail. Mm -hmm. That's the way commodity agriculture works, and that is our primary food system. Joel was using the same landscapes, the same old buildings, the same uh, beat-up farm trucks, you know, etc., uh, but he was selling directly to customers. 
and customers were coming to his farm or he was doing farmer's markets or doing restaurants and uh, taking that same uh, soil, the same climate, the same views and transforming it into a very different economic model uh, was inspiring for me on both ends um, to see what what that land was capable of um, but the opportunities to provide that deeper uh, connection uh, straight to the folks that are eating, eating my food. Do you think it made a difference that, or do you think it makes a difference that you take your product, um, I'm sure you sell it in the neighborhood, but that you take it outside of the neighborhood to a community that understands the value of what they're receiving? Like, does that make a difference in a business, from a business perspective? Sure. So when I started farming 20 years ago, 1996, um, and I knew I had to reboot our farm from a conventional standpoint, Farmers markets in 96, 97 were, were the most logical place mm-hmm. for me to go. In 2016, would I, if I was starting out again, would I do farmers markets? Probably not. It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, farming in general is work, but it's, a, it's like a circus every weekend, frankly. Yeah. You know, you're, you're putting on a show. The show must go on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we load up the trucks. We pack all this stuff. We do three farmers markets on Saturday, three on Sunday. And we hope that customers come out. We hope that they value. Will they come out on a rainy day? Do they come out on a snowy day? I don't know. Uh, would they come to a, a plowed-out parking lot inside, climate-controlled? Oh, yeah, 100% chance. That's why Whole Foods are busy on a, on a Saturday or et cetera, a grocery store. Um, so if I, you know, uh, had other options, farm-to-table restaurants, CSA, community-supported agriculture, uh, buying clubs, that would make a lot of sense to me. Uh, now, but that wasn't really a choice uh, for me 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. The the uh, the number of people hadn't come together uh, anywhere else, in my opinion, in my part of the country, um, anywhere else than farmers markets. And now we're just kind of like a perpetual motion machine. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, do you? And I think I asked this earlier, but do you consider yourself because you've written now two books where you share your story, and now you you have the platform to share the story of other farmers do you consider yourself an author or a farmer well you ask that question as i, as I pick as i pick out a callus on my hand <laughs> uh always a farmer uh-huh. um i the same thoughts and stories that go into my book uh at my books at this point are uh, either experienced uh, through farming they're not fabricated uh you know they're real they're real farming stories um or the philosophies and and kind of uh, you know, shared thoughts that go into that are the exact same things I'm thinking about throughout my day. Um, you know, how are we going to get this job done? How are we going to think creatively? Uh, what are these animals thinking? What's nature telling me? Uh, what, you know, it's been, it hasn't rained in six weeks. Or conversely, it's been raining for six weeks. You know, how do we adapt to that? Uh, things like that. So uh, being a farmer is, uh, is the foundation, remains the foundation um, to kind of fill my well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Do you think you'll um, ever get in, into stand-up comedy, like, um, in the winter? <laughs> I tested out. It's fun to do these presentations. I get an, an hour, and uh, to talk that much, to hear myself talk, uh-huh. it becomes painful after an hour. No one, should, no one should be able to talk more than that. You should get, like, an hour uh-huh. a day yeah. <laughs> to talk. Um, and I'm already using my 15 minutes here. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, to test out some comedy in real time was fun. I tested out this... Uh, the progress or not progressive uh, farmers insurance mm-hmm. has this thing now. It's, it goes, "We are farmers." Bump, 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 bump. Right? Every, everybody's heard that commercial, and I just, heard, you know, I heard like everybody else. I heard that like five hundred times. I didn't think anything of it. Then I'm like thinking, "You're not farmers." I mean, I know your name is farmers, but you're you're calling yourself farmers 
but your insurance agents yeah. like what like what just happened there mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like uh-huh. a bunch of farmers getting together and saying you know we are we are lawyers with a uh-huh. with a catchy jingle you like we would make we couldn't yeah we couldn't get away with that <laughs> right so. yeah i think that's funny um i think that brings something like to the surface that you see now when i talked about the branding i think i can't remember where it was that i heard a commercial maybe it was on the radio and maybe it was on like um hulu or something um, where they talked about a farmer waking up in the morning. It might have been like one of the big dairy producers. Like the farmer wakes up in the morning and it's such a romantic notion. Mm. And they go out into the field and the grass is like tickling their legs. Mm. And I think it just creates such like a romanticized version of what like farm life is like. Right. What's like one of the biggest misconceptions you think people have about what farm work and farmers are like? Yeah, um, great question. Uh we live in a in a society that's deeply nostalgic and sentimental. Um, like we've got a political campaign going on right now. And I don't have, I don't worry about politics or anything. But like one of the slogans is "Make America Great Again." Like, uh, like when did we stop being great? First of all, uh, and when and when are when are we talking about? Are, you know, are we talking about like you know like 1948 or something? Like, like and when did farmers become these romantic? Uh, uh, plaid-wearing, uh, uh, hairy-chested lumberjacks, right. you know, who are who are all handsome. You know, there's, there's like this ginger ale commercial where the uh, the bartender's like yes. pu- pulling out a ginger ale, and out from the other side comes this uh, you know 28-year-old virile uh, you know stud muffin who like pops up out of the ice. <laughs> you know, he's out in his ginger field wiping his sweaty brow. Right. You know, it's like a Harlequin romance uh-huh. novel. Uh, so yeah, what is this? That's that's we romanticize. Yeah. We romanticize everyone else's life. The grass is always greener. Yeah. We always think uh, we'll be happier if we're in Hawaii. And people in Hawaii just want to go to Boston and eat some clam chowder. Right. Uh-huh. You know, so. <laughs> um, what kind of advice would you give folks that are now, because I really, I feel like, and you probably hear it a lot, that you're a pioneer. I mean, in my generation, your generation, we're the same age. I feel like we're like reaching back to our roots and you've given a voice to, um, You've given a voice to my generation, okay. but there's also the generation of like our grandparents and my parents who've kind of um, want to step away from industrialized food right. or stuff out of the freezer or TV dinners that were so big like when we were younger, right? Yeah. So my generation, the younger generation, and our parents are learning now the value of buying local, mm-hmm. sustainable food that supports the community and is good for you. But sometimes it's a little overwhelming. Like, it's a sure. lot of information. Oh, of course. So what kind of tips would you give someone who's just learning about, like, food miles, mm-hmm. um, all of the gasoline that goes into the mm-hmm. production, or people who are learning about um, food that's pre-picked before it's sure. ripe? Right, right. Um, what kind of food tips would you give someone who's just learning so much information? Um, grab a YouTube video. Uh, find, f- Figure out whatever your favorite food is whatever your favorite vegetable or fruit uh, find a youtube video and type in how to grow blueberries uh, how to grow basil and grow some yourself Um, invest in uh, the exquisitely inspiring journey of of uh of planting something of nurturing something and then eating it Um, that's that's uh mystical that's a mystical process uh, but it's also it connects us it, it teaches us uh, the process, 
It teaches us the value of the work uh, and the spirit uh, that went into it. Um, so yeah, I think anywhere, you know, we've got, uh, you know, ancestry.com is like every fourth or fifth commercial that pops up now. We, we are so, we have become so disconnected from our families, from the, from the soil, uh, from the food that we, you know, we eat every day, uh, hopefully three times a day. But there is this huge hunger uh, for a type of connection. Uh, we can do that on our on the internet at nine o'clock at night and find out, hey, my ancestors were French Huguenots uh, from the 1600s. Uh, but there's another way we can connect, connect too. It's by getting a little packet of 69 cent seeds at the supermarket and putting them in the soil and watching what happens next. Right. So once you get a taste of real food, I don't think it's as easy to go back to eating like stuff out of a plastic carton. Um, it's certainly uh, once all talk and philosophy is put aside. Yeah. What tastes great in your mouth, uh, is, it seals the deal. Right. Exactly. I think that's perfect. Now, um, in your presentation, you shared a quote, um, and I don't remember the quote exactly. I think I took a picture of it. But then you followed it up with, like, one of your wise quotes about doing. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, the quote that I mentioned was from uh, Alda, Alda Leopold, you know, who wrote a Sand County Almanac, a hugely wonderful book on farming philosophy from the 1950s. And his quote was basically, to paraphrase, uh, don't put stock uh, that uh, uh, right things happen uh, for the wrong reasons and that uh, wrong things should happen uh, because uh, they don't seem to make money. You know, uh, yeah, just this kind of specious logic that we should, do, we should be a purely monetarily driven society. Um, and I just kind of was deeply inspired and touched by that because we see that at every turn we're constantly just we're so disappointed I feel so disappointed all the time like really like we decided to do that with our money like our yeah. taxpayers or somebody did this we like I'm staying at this hotel you know it's a, you always see these signs that says uh, our policy is green uh, don't don't waste the towels seriously you just uh, plowed like eight acres of asphalt you know and now you're gonna tell me like oh we're gonna save the environment by like not washing a towel uh-huh. right the lights are on 24 7 in this place give uh-huh. me a give me a break um so sorry i sidetracked myself too much <laughs> okay um yeah so followed the I, I followed up with uh-huh. just this just this idea of doing you know once all the uh, you know the think tanks and the ivory tower and the debates on Facebook and the comment sections are all done uh, at the end of the day we got to do something if we're going to accomplish something and those 1.8% of the population are the people that are, are doing something now we can argue back and forth the other 98% of us oh how do we like it do we like it does this make us feel good is this good for the environment etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, but the fact is 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 we're all capable of doing something we're all capable of planting the seeds if we're not capable of being farmers and I'm not saying everybody should be um, then we are capable of voting with our dollars to support yeah. those farmers that we say we believe in. Yeah. I think that's a one. That's a that's perfect. I think that perfectly ties it up. Um, and it, I really appreciate. Um, I appreciate that you've written the books, that you've taken the time to write the books, and that communities have really picked up on it. Mm. And when you drive through a city like this, like through York, and you visit like these local libraries, you really hope that you just see someone grab an old cleaned out paint bucket fill it with some dirt and plant your own tomato seeds i mean it costs just a few bucks mostly you're just your time yeah just to <laughs> feed yourself well 
So I thank you so much um, for joining me out here. I think it's um, in addition to it being like a heavily trafficked intersection, they're doing a lot of landscaping at the municipal building across the street. Yeah, for every, so uh, for every tractor trailer of high fructose corn syrup that rolls by, there's a someone gardening. So it's balanced. <laughs> That's true, yeah. So thank you so much for joining me. And what is your website one more time, and how can people find you on Twitter and Facebook? Uh, lovely. Uh, I'm smithmeadows.com. Uh, simple, that's our farm name, Smith Meadows. And uh, you can friend me at Forrest Pritchard on Facebook. I've got a fan page, and our Twitter is uh, at Smith Meadows. Great. And then uh, the links, of course, to the books are on the uh, website. Um, Gaining Ground and Growing Tomorrow. So definitely check those out, guys. And um, this was a lot of fun. You can find me at phoebespurefood.com for some local eating destinations, recipe inspiration, and just local food love. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Be sure to leave us some feedback. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Um, Be kind about um, the traffic in York because we are free-ranging it. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye.